Welcome to Unstoppable Real Hospitality, your host Arjun Sella. Today's guest is unbelievable, I will call him. His, uh, his experience in this business is uh, second to none. He's, he worked in one of the best restaurants. I will mention a couple of them, like uh, Michael Mina, French Laundry, Danielle, uh, La Bernardin, Jean-Georges, etc., uh, etc. Et you know, he's uh, also, his title is Master Sommelier. Uh, he won a lot of competitions. And his name is Alex Laprat. Alex, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me today, Arjun. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Can you please, you know, uh, tell us, you know, or tell us your biography, how you started in uh, in this business and where you are now? Yeah, so it's been a, a long journey. I started at the, uh, you know, very young age of um, 16 uh, in this business. I remember I was, I was 15 and my, uh, my stepfather was like, okay, son, time to get a job. So, uh <laughs> went down to the local grocery store and I started there. Um, but then I had a friend who I was working with who um, ended up getting fired. And uh, he went to work at a restaurant around the corner and he was making a lot more money than I was. And um, I said, man, if you can do it, I can do it. So I started at uh, Big Boy at uh, 16. So that's like uh, from the Austin Powers movie with the shakes and hamburgers and salads and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, and then I just kept moving through restaurants, you know, uh, I put myself through college with it, um, you know, and supported myself. Um, and it was about two, no, three restaurants after Big Boy that um, I had my big break or one of my first big breaks. I was working with um, uh, a really nice restaurant called Morales in Michigan Bistro outside of Detroit. And um, the corporate beverage director was Madeline Trafon, who is the first female uh, master sommelier in the United States. And, um, you know, working with her and watching her um, really inspired me uh, with wine and got me started on this whole track. So, um, you know, I was still in college. I was doing uh, a major biology minor in chemistry preparing for a, a pre-med uh, program. and. Um, I just kept coming back to wine because uh, it's so exciting. And so I decided to make that my full-time, you know, my full-time pursuit that I was going to do that. So I dropped out of college uh, before achieving my degree and, um, you know, just try to work through the best restaurants in Michigan. Um, and eventually, you know, went to the West Coast. Um, I had opened two restaurants for Michael Mina in Detroit. Um, bourbon steak and uh, saltwater grill. Uh, and they were in the MGM casino. And then, um, you know, I was working with Rashid Parr, another incredible sommelier. And uh, he said I should move to San Francisco because it was like a real lifestyle. And, you know, if I, if I was serious about wine, and uh, you know, that would be a great, you know, step forward. So, uh, I eventually ended up doing it and finally took a uh, full-time position at the French Laundry um, out in Napa. So I worked there for two and a half years, uh, started as a food runner, got moved up to Cellar Sommelier, and then I was doing um, lunch events and private events as well, which was great. 
And then, uh, you know, I eventually wanted to leave, wanted to move on. Napa is a small place, although it was a, a great experience. And so sent my resume out a bunch of places and decided uh, that working with um, Daniel Jonas and Daniel Balud would be the next step. So I moved out to New York and uh, took over the beverage program for DB Bistro. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, while there, that was, I know we talked uh, just uh, briefly on all the competitions, but while I was at DB Bistro in, in New York, I uh, won uh, Best Sommelier in America. And then, um, you know, I was doing a lot of things. I was running that program. They sent me down to Miami to redo their beverage program for their Miami restaurant as well. And then um, I would also fill in at uh, Barbalud and Danielle um, when, they, when they needed, you know, vacation or, you know, special instances. And then um, I left there after two, a little over two years to open up the two-star Michelin at Terra. Um, and I got that program started and off the ground. And then I, I went to La Bernadette. Um, Eldo was taking a bunch of vacation or, well, he was taking vacation and then some of his other sons were taking vacation. So I came to, uh, cover everyone. Um, and then Jean George offered me his, um, wine director position for his three star Michelin and, uh, the one star Michelin restaurant attached to it. So, you know, and, and I worked there just, just a little bit over a year before I opened my own restaurant, my first restaurant. Wow. I mean, what a journey. I mean, you, you, you got so much experience. You work so, I mean, there's so many places and uh, it, that that's, uh, it gives you like a really backbone, you know, to, to own a restaurant because that, that experience is like amazing. Uh, but also, you know, you're a master sommelier. Can you ex- give us little, you know, little, little, the road, how you became a master sommelier? Oh, that was, um, that was a long one. <laughs> yeah, it took me about 17 years there okay. to uh, finally pass that exam. But I started with that first really nice restaurant. I started studying about wine and learning about it, but I was still too young to drink. I was only 19. Mm-hmm. So I was just smelling a lot and reading. Um, and then after I turned 21, um, I started to taste more and, and, and really get into wine. So I took my, uh, there's uh, four levels um, in the Master Sommelier program. Um, it's uh, all started by the Court of Master Sommeliers worldwide. Uh, we have our own division here in the United States, in the Americas. Um, so I started with them. I took my intro exam. That's the first level. Uh, must have been about 2001. And um, that was very uh, interesting. My eyes were open to a lot of things that I didn't know about. Um, but I did well enough to pass. And then they, um, have a second level called certified, uh, which is, uh, you, instead of the first level was just, um, you know, just theory, just writing stuff down, listening. We did a lot of tasting together and stuff like that. Um, so it's more like a written test. Now the certified is service as well as blind tasting, well, deductive tasting of some wines and, and a theory uh, exam. So I took that probably in 2006, maybe, 2006 or so. And then 
I, uh, I'm, I moved to California. So then I'm in California at French Laundry and I took my advance in 2009 mm -hmm. in uh, Disneyland and then uh, in Anaheim. And then uh, yeah, just kept studying stuff, came to New York and my first attempt at the, I had passed all the other exams on the first try. My first attempt at the Master Sommelier exam was 2012, I think. Yep, must have been 2012. So um, I had been working so hard. I'd been studying. I had won a ton of competitions. They offered me my first chance to go in 2011. I passed because I wanted to pass all three parts on the first try. Because mm -hmm. there's three parts. There's the theory part, the written or the the written theory part, or what well, at the master's level actually it's oral. So there's the theory part, the service part, and the the, the deductive tasting part. Oh. And uh, the first time I went, I passed service and I passed theory, but unfortunately I didn't I didn't do uh, well enough on the deductive tasting to pass. Mm -hmm. So I had to wait. And then the next year I was able to come back and uh, try just the tasting portion again. And I still didn't pass. So my final attempt was in Aspen in 2014. And it was the, uh, if I did not pass tasting, then I would have to start all over. You, you can, you know, if you pass a section, you can, Keep that as passed for a period of three years. So you get three different attempts at the exam as a total. And any portions you pass along that way, you can keep. But after three attempts, you reset. And then you start all over again. So I would have had, if I didn't pass that last time, I would have to do service and theory and tasting all over again. So luckily I passed, but it was very challenging. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a journey. I mean, they, you have to be so dedicated, you know, to do that. It takes toll in your life, too. Yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of sacrifice, and I really didn't have time for anything else at, uh, while studying. Wow! Well, listen, congratulations. That's uh, that's something you know. Not everybody can do that, you know. It just needs a, that uh, real dedication. Uh, like I say in, in my introduction, I also introduce uh, that you're also on two restaurants i'm a co-owner of two restaurants uh can you tell us how how the idea came because the 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 the, the idea of the show is to get the secret sauce from very successful person which is you so how the idea came to open your first restaurant well actually when i was um 18 and I was working through all these restaurants. I said, you know, I want to, if I'm going to make this my future, I got to figure out, you know, how to do that. And owning a restaurant was really the only way, uh, because at some point you just can't run up and down stairs anymore and you can't lift heavy boxes. And, you know, yes. I had, I had to figure out an end game. So it started there, but it wasn't until much later on that, that I was, I was able to really start looking at it. You know, I grew up, you know, fairly poor um, uh, on a farm and then in the inner city. So kind of half of my childhood was on a farm and the other half was, was in, in a very urban area. But um, so I knew that I had to find a way to get enough money to do this. And I figured, how, how can I attract investors 
well by being the very best at what I do. So that that was a lot of the idea behind my competitions, behind the exams and things like that. Was building a resume that people could, you know, and experience that people could, you know, feel comfortable, you know, investing in. So um when I was in New York at um working with the DL group, I um I met my two future partners and we were basically doing the exact same roles that we're doing now. Uh we were just doing them for someone else. And I and I said, you know, I really think we could do this on our own. Um you know, we should really take the chance, the chance, take the shot. Yes. So we were looking around, uh, actually in the West Village and a few other areas for a restaurant. And uh, it wasn't until, you know, we both live, well, two of the partners live in Brooklyn Heights and Hurricane Sandy came. Mm-hmm. And we had some friends that owned a restaurant down in Dumbo, which is uh, just over the Brooklyn Bridge and uh, right around the corner from where we live. And unfortunately, it was hit really hard by Sandy. Um, and then they spent a long time trying to get reopened, and they decided they're not going to reopen it. So we went and we looked at it, and as soon as we walked in, we knew it was the perfect space. Mm-hmm. So it all really started from there. Wow. So you opened the restaurant. Uh, what year did you open the restaurant? Uh, What's that? The Ashram Dumbo, uh, when did you open? What year? Did so you... that opened 2013. So basically, during that time, I was um, at Jean-Georges mm-hmm. and um, uh, run, run the program. I was working probably like 65, 70 hours a week. And then I was studying for uh, best sommelier in the world because I was getting ready to go to Tokyo, Japan to do that competition. And the thing with that was I had to do it in another language. So I was learning French to do that competition. And then every night I would come home and I'd write the business plan for Atrium. So I wasn't sleeping very much, um, you know, probably about five hours a night. And, um, you know, and then we, we ended up finalizing and signing the lease. I think it was January or December of 2012 and then we opened to the public um, in July uh, so it took about like six seven months to get everything all together you know getting the stuff getting the like all the front of the house ready yeah and all the construction and all the money raised and stuff like that so it was um, it was a pretty fast turnaround for that project yes I was gonna say that that's, that's, that you know um, to start something from scratch, from zero, you know, that's that's pretty fast, you know. You probably had a great business plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was very good, I thought. Yeah. Well, uh, since we're now at your restaurant, uh, and your restaurant is very successful, and you also have your second restaurant, and uh, that's the Piss in the Bottles. How you come up with that name? Yeah, that was my partner, Leslie. Uh, she's very creative, and... Um, she uh, she likes that name a lot, and it's edgy and fun and very Brooklyn-y. So I I, I like it a lot. Uh, we um, have a huge wine selection uh, as well. Um, both our restaurants currently, I, I believe, they're the only two restaurants in Brooklyn to have the uh, best award of excellence from one spectator. We've got these nice, um, you know, well, a nice cellar at Beeson Bottles and and a, and a, and a 
a large program, you know, and uh, we always have some ladies on the floor working. So it's one of the few places in Brooklyn that you can come and, and have a great wine experience. Okay. So now, now you have two restaurants, uh, which is like, you know, it's not easy. It's a lot of, a lot of hard work, but to become so successful, uh, now, uh, you definitely need training. How you, how, how, how you train your employees, your front of the house? Well, uh, you know, we have a training program. Well, we, I, I guess like every other restaurant, you've, you've got to have a training program. So, um, you know, learning everything, shadowing, following, um, you know, uh, taking half a session, things like that. We do a lot of uh, different um, education modules, so like uh, food knowledge and uh, wine knowledge, and and then we uh, supplement that every day with our pre-shifts, um, talking about different wines, different wine regions, wine specials. Um, when when the kitchen does uh, special dishes, uh, we'll open bottles and, and pair special wines with it to um, to offer our guests just some more. Uh, diversity, you know, something new that they haven't seen and talk to, um, you know, the staff about that. We've been very lucky. We've had uh, quite a few people that are interested in wine come and work with us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we've put them on the path of, you know, taking greater certification and, you know, helping them try to figure out what they want to do. So a lot of people, like uh, one of my sommeliers just passed the advanced exam. The other one's getting ready for the advanced exam. One of our bartenders just took his first intro. Um, a couple other ones are studying for the certified. All the management have their intro, so it's good. You know, so you're really equipped. You know, and you you're blessed. You know, to have you know those employees. Because not not every restaurant has that uh, luxury to have that. Uh, That's true. Another question: uh, How you come up with uh, the concepts? You know, you, uh, that uh, same concept both restaurants, or they have a, a different concept. Yeah, they're different. Um, the, the the cuisine that we work with mostly is uh, Southern France and Mediterranean. And the reason why is because um, both of my other partners are from the south of France. One's just outside of Nice and the other one's just west of there, just a few uh, minutes. And it's Aix-en-Provence. And um, that's my chef partner. He's from Aix-en-Provence. And he's worked for, uh, you know, just as many well, almost as many uh, great chefs as, uh, as I have. Um, so he spent most of his time at, um, when he was in South of France, at the Louis Cannes, uh, the three-star Michelin owned by um, uh, Alain Ducasse. And so that's what, what gave him a lot of his um, foundation in cuisine. And so that's what we do mostly at Atrium. Uh, we take the, the Brooklyn market and kind of, you know, what Brooklynites would be looking for. And we uh, interpret that through his uh, classic French technique and his flavors. Um, So we're trying to use almost all items local if we can. We get a lot of local fish, uh, which is great. Handmade pasta here in Brooklyn. Um, You know, a lot of upstate meats, uh, you know, duck from Long Island, uh, you know, and Pennsylvania. for other meats and things like that. So we try to stay as local as we can. Um, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll branch out of course with like, you know, Dover sole. We don't have that here, but we can get wild Dover sole from, uh, off the coast of Spain. Um, which, which we you know, like F as a, for instance, 
but um, and then we interpret it through his lens of uh, flavor and technique, you know, light and uh, uh, ingredient focus. Then at the other restaurant, it's beasts and bottles. So it's a rotisserie and a grill. And really, it's like, um, you know, very similar flavors, maybe with a slight more, um, you know, Southwest France influence and Spain influence. Um, and uh, we're using the rotisserie to do um, a lot of roasted items, roasted cauliflower, roasted chicken, a lot of our um, different types of uh uh, birds and, and things like that are, are roasted on the rotisserie, but we also have the grill and we have a, a large selection of just, you know, regularly prepared, uh, dishes, but it's a, it's a little bit more of a rustic farmhouse feel inside. And I think it's really, really beautiful. Uh, and we serve our, um, a lot of our wines we're serving at a larger formats, which try, wow. you know, try to keep it fun, keep it, keep it interactive for the guests. I was going to do that. I'll, I'll stop you. Let's, uh, when you when you open bottle up large format, uh, do you open by the glass or you just sell them? Uh, uh, you know, if the customer wants to buy it like for large parties. How yeah, you- by the glass. So um, we you just have to make sure that you only have one open so that you can you can sell through it all before anything goes bad. You know, we, we're lucky enough to have enough guests that um, you know we can move through it fast enough before the wines open too long. Do you, do you promote that uh, ahead of in a couple of days before you open, or you just uh, people that know that you're always going to have a certain day that's special? Um, it's it's just our regular by the glass. That's how we that's how we serve it. Wow, wow. And like you say, you know, you have uh, enough customers so you can mm-hmm. uh, sell it. Yeah. What what's your goal in five or ten years? Oh. Uh, to retire to a farm in Portugal would be amazing. Um, yeah. No, I we're working on a big project right now in Miami. Um, so we're trying to open uh, a restaurant in Miami. And uh, right now we're in the fundraising stage. We've got all the planning done and lease negotiation, all of that. We found an amazing space. It's taken us about two years we've been working on this. Uh-huh. Um, so... In five years, we hope that that thing is running like a well-oiled machine. We've gotten it off the ground. Everything's good. Um, you know, that, we're actually hoping to open by the end of next year. Um, and then, I don't know. After that, I'm going to try. There's so many other things that I want to do um, besides just restaurants. Um, I want to I diversify uh, into other, other things. Um, you know, like, I, I don't know, clothes and online education and all these different things that I've been looking at that I'd like to do um, professionally. Uh, so once, maybe maybe in five, ten years, I think this Miami uh, project is going to make a big difference in our corporate structure. Um, and maybe I'll have a little bit more time that I can you know, oversee everything and still have some time to do some other projects. So that's, that's what I'm hoping for. Wow. You know, I mean, that, uh, when you say uh, online courses, uh, I think uh, we, we definitely need somebody to, to create something online for, so it can be very approachable from uh, 
every aspect from uh, the restaurant owners or restaurant employees to learn from uh, from somebody who uh, has a lot of experience in this business. Because uh, I think uh, not only have fine dining restaurants, even regular uh, restaurants, they need training. Because it's uh, without training, without uh, having knowledge how to uh, deal with customers, it's not only uh, selling wine or uh, uh, water, whatever. It doesn't matter where you're selling food, but you also have employees that have to be heckful. Uh, they have to have some uh, extra hospitality, extra service. They have to learn that uh, how to take care of customers with uh, not only uh, manually but also with a with a heart how to take care of the customers. So I really looking forward. You know, when you're ready to to have that online course. All right. So next uh, question. What's your best advice for future restaurant owners? Oh, <laughs> best advice for future restaurant owner. Um, wow. I mean, you started, you know. Yeah. Well, this, you, I, you, you did your, uh, your work, right? I, I think, know it's hard. It's not easy, but. I, I think the most important thing that I would you know, suggest is having a very strong partnership. Um, one where when it gets so tough that nothing's working, that your partners can't walk away. So whether that's in a personal relationship, but maybe even more so on paper, uh, find a way that everybody that has such a vested interest, whether it be with money invested or something else that they can't walk away because I see a lot of restaurants fail because when it gets tough and it always gets tough, um, it gets very difficult um, in the beginning stages. Um, you know, a lot of partnerships crumble and when that happens, they close. Um, there's a lot of other very important things, but even if all those other things, if everything, all the other areas from your lease negotiation, your site selection and all of that, all your financial, if everything else is in order and you have a weak partnership, um, that restaurant is, is most likely going to fail. So I, I would strongly, you know, caution people to, to, to choose their partners very carefully. Um, make sure that everybody is pulling their weight. And, um, that would be, that would be, the strongest advice that, that you know, or the most important, I think, uh, before you start this. I fully agree with you. Definitely agree with you. Thank you. I was going to say thank you for giving us all the very important tips uh, about owning a restaurant, how you run the restaurant, uh, and also your journey. You know, I mean, you, you, you equipped yourself so, so much. So you definitely need to own more restaurants. <laughs> Thank you, RJ. I'm trying. Hey, listen, you're doing the right thing. I mean, I, I, I know you very well, too, because the uh, uh, first time when I met you was uh, 2011 when we did uh, the competition for the best American sommelier. And it was only four finalists, and you are one of them. And I saw your service. I saw the way you, you, you run the floor. And I had a lot of friends around me. I say, Alex is going to be the winner. <laughs> they're, all, they're very close, but you have yours. You're such a smooth, 
a way of running the floor. So it's, it's a, a lot of people that have, you know, they get, you know, very uncomfortable when they get to an uncomfortable uh, situation. But you took it so seriously. And I was like, you know, and you have, you're so simple guy and so honest. So you really deserved more than that. So thank you for being at my show. And hopefully we talk one day about uh, more about your uh, uh, Master Sommelier diploma, the way you, you train y- yourself, and et cetera, et cetera. So, Alex, thank you for being at my show. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Arden. Really appreciate it. Take care.